Hotfix. Hey, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Good. You know, uh, I'm supposed to do the show with both of our awesome scientists today about viruses. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, it's going to be really cool. I'm sorry you can't join us, but I have to ask you a question. It's a question that Dr. Tobin asked me, and I struggled with the answer a little bit, even though I I knew most of it. But I'm going to ask you now. Are you ready? I want you to put your hands under your legs and don't look at the Googles. Okay. You're going to you're going to retrieve this from your memory cold. I'm literally sitting on my hands. All right. Ready? Yes. What's the definition of an animal, Paul? Um, oh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) an animal is a, an organism that, uh, oh, I don't know, reproduces and eats other animals and, uh, (laughs) I don't know. We're going to answer that 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 question and why a virus isn't one on the show today. So, uh, okay. I just thought I would want to ask you that question and see what you made of it. Because I got to tell you, I had to dig pretty far into the memory banks to remember what the full answer is. Wow. That is such a, like, wow. Like, what is an animal? I'm looking forward to the answer. Yep. Me too. Cool. Hello and welcome to the Varmints Podcast. Every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on our planet one animal at a time. I am Donna and I am not an animal expert. And today we are talking about not an animal, we are talking about viruses. So this is a little complicated. Viruses aren't animals, but we've had more than one request to talk about them in the past couple of years, and the topic now seems relevant, so we're going to do it. The format of this episode is going to be slightly different. We have not one, but two scientists on the air today, and I'm going to ask them a list of questions provided by you, the Varminions, and some developed by Paul and myself. We'll have a great conversation. We'll talk a little bit about viruses and pop culture, and hopefully we'll end the episode with everyone learning a little bit more about our physical world. I know I will. At this point, I'd like to welcome Dr. Seth Magley back to the show. You heard him on our Prairie Dogs and Coyotes episode. Welcome back, Dr. Seth. Hi, great to be here. Dr. Seth Magley is the director of the Urban Wildlife Institute at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. He did his PhD work on prairie dogs at Colorado State University and is frequently called the brain of the show because we consult him a lot, mostly because he's a personal friend and I have his contact details. So <laughs> I'm happy to help. <laughs> Dr. Tobin Magley is a PhD in microbiology from the University of Wisconsin-Madison has specialized in the brain parasite Toxoplasma gondii. Ooh, that's the scary one. Postdoctoral research on malaria at Loyola in Chicago, and currently she is the research data lifecycle manager in the Division of Information Technology at UW-Madison. Welcome, Dr. Tobin. We're excited to have you. 
Thanks for having me, and sorry for making you say so many words about my job title. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Dr. Tobin's going to do a full regular show with Paul and me very soon. We've been planning it for a long time, and it just kind of hasn't happened because of everything in the world. But finally, it's coming together, and we're going to talk about microanimals with her, which is very exciting. But now for the show. Just a reminder, everybody, go to varmints.podbean.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and on Instagram at varmints, at, at varmints Podcast at all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, suggestions. And we have a Pinterest board. You can go on over there and put varmints into the search engine, and we will pop up in your feed. We have merchandise at Redbubble and at Tee Public. Go ahead over there and put varmints in the search engine and you will find wonderful merchandise. You can get a shower curtain even with our logo on it. Or leggings. You never know. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast where everywhere podcasts are found and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. So let's, um, let's all learn about viruses. Have you ever wondered about animals? What do they look like? Where do they live? Why are some of their legs also hands? Well, we have. So it's time to learn about animals. So, doctors! (laughs) Both peoples, what is the definition of an animal? Dr. Tobin threw this question at me when we were planning this episode today and it threw me for a little bit of a loop because it sent me scrambling around for memories of biology class in college which is more recent for me than it is for some other people because I went back in my mid-30s but it's still not yesterday so (laughs) what is an animal you guys you might be surprised or maybe not to know that defining an animal is like a lot of things in science like defining a species and a lot of other things that seems like it should be really easy and it should have a really simple definition we can all agree on and it's really not actually so i looked at a bunch of definitions and the one that i came to uh, here we go i'm just going to read it it's got some not really that jargony words but a few and the definition i found was multicellular organisms that have a well-defined shape and usually limited growth can move voluntarily, actively acquire food and digest it internally, and have sensory and nervous systems that allow them to respond rapidly to stimuli. Okay, that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. And I I think that viruses don't quite um, achieve some of those, Uh, but maybe Tobin can speak a little more to it. Sure. Yeah, viruses are definitely not multicellular because they they aren't cells. Um, They're actually just little bundles of DNA or RNA wrapped up in proteins and lipids that they use to get inside host cells. So that can be human cells or plant cells or even bacteria. And once they get in there, they use those cells to make more of themselves. So uh, like I said, hosts can be anything from humans like for COVID-19 or plants or even single cell things like bacteria. Outside of the cell, the virus basically only brings with it a way to get into a new host cell and the instructions it needs to make copies of itself. So being that it's not actually uh, a cell, probably can't be an animal. Well, there you go. That that helps a lot, I think. I have heard them described as a strand of RNA surrounded by trouble. (laughs) Yeah, that's accurate. (laughs) So... That seems fairly broad, but that's that's fine. So let's go ahead and get to our questions. Um, is there anything beneficial that viruses do or any benefit that, that we have by having them around? 
Yeah, actually, um, there's uh, types of viruses called bacteriophages that infect bacteria. But one of the things that they do is that when they live inside your gut bacteria, they can protect your intestinal tract from other infections. And also, um, because of that, they're even used as treatments against some bacterial infections um, that you can get in your gut. But also early in life, when your immune system is still untrained and naive, uh, viral infections can train your immune system to react appropriately to things so your immune system doesn't overreact to stuff. And finally, people have found that latent herpes virus infections can help boost your immune system against other pathogens and even help your body fight cancer. Well, that's pretty interesting. So do either of you have an interesting anecdote about viruses in your personal work or your personal world? Well, I study viruses a little bit indirectly in that I study wildlife and I'm interested in their health and I'm interested in how that intersects with with human health. Um, So we do a lot of work on different diseases, including viruses that affect animals. And um, something I thought might be kind of interesting to talk to you about is a, a theory from the wildlife world called the dilution effect. And the idea there is that we need biodiversity to basically dilute out these diseases. So the idea is like, let's think of something like West Nile virus that affects birds, but it can also affect humans. Um, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. And the idea is that if you have a lot of different birds and, and other mammals and other things roaming around in the ecosystem, then individuals the mosquitoes aren't going to really just nail one species. They're going to kind of spread themselves out. They're going to feed on a lot of things and it's going to keep the disease at a pretty low level. But if you start to lose diversity, like we currently are in our world as we lose species to extinction and other things, um, then you can imagine that the disease starts to hit those remaining species really hard because the mosquitoes in this example just don't have a lot of other options for things to, to feed on. So it's just another reason why it's good for us to think about conserving these really diverse and, um, and healthy ecosystems because it helps dilute out these dangerous diseases like viruses. Yeah, I think kind of the way that most people think about viruses is they kind of get into your cells, make copies of them, and they pop your cells open. So they're destroying your cells and making you sick. But there's actually a lot of viruses that can get into your cells and then integrate themselves into your genome. So they're disrupting your DNA and hiding out in your cells until someday they decide to get happy again and pop out and make you sick. So there's a lot of viruses like this, like um, like I mentioned earlier, herpes, herpes viruses do this. That's why if you have herpes, you can be asymptomatic for a long time and then get an outbreak. But also viruses like HIV do this. So um, that's why HIV and herpes are really hard to get rid of. So they just kind of stick around in your cells and hang out until something happens that makes them pop out and make you sick. And I think this is probably my anecdote because that's very similar to the parasite that I studied in graduate school um, does a similar thing in your brain cells. Wow. That's interesting and scary. Yes. Let's get to the questions from our Varminians. So first of all, Bridget Carey Davis asked, she has a, a few questions and I'm just going to ask them all and you can answer them in whatever order you think you want to. She wanted to know, is a virus conscious? Is it actively trying to hurt us? Are all viruses from animals? And what was the first virus, if you know? And have we ever eradicated a virus? So quite a few questions there. I'll give you plenty of time. Sure. So for the first two, is the virus conscious and they're actively trying to hurt us? Um, I'm going to go with no, because they're basically molecules that are bopping around in the environment and bumping into things and happening to replicate themselves. So it's it's probably more more physics than psychology at that point. 
are all viruses from animals? Um, no, there's viruses can infect anything um, from amoeba to plants to humans. So there's viruses out there that don't come from animals and don't infect humans. They've just kind of got nothing to do with us. But on the flip side of that, there's other viruses that can only infect humans. So there's a huge variety of viruses out there. Wow, that's interesting. What was the first virus? That's kind of a crazy one because we we actually don't even really know if viruses came first or if cells came first. And there's a bunch of different hypotheses about this, but none of them actually fully explain how viruses are made up. And if you're interested in that, probably a good place to look is actually just the Wikipedia page for viral evolution. I actually had to look some stuff up on there today. But probably the oldest virus that um, is known to infect humans just from kind of finding old human bones and trying to sequence viruses out of it is hepatitis B. Wow. That's crazy. Hepatitis B. Yes. Would that have been from us... Just as, this is me interjecting extra questions yeah, yeah. as they occur to me because I'm kind of a, a an archaeology armchair enthusiast. Is that because we started farming and maybe they got it from the farm animals or is it earlier than that? Um, I think that they were, I'm, I'm not an, ar- an archaeologist, so this, you, you might be able to answer this better than me after I tell you that the human, oh, it was a human tooth that they found it in, and that was from about 7,000 years ago. Oh, yeah, so that would be farming time, so. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it, it, there's no viruses earlier than that, it just means that that's the, the earliest one that they have, like, actual hard evidence on. Hmm. Do you have any knowledge of us getting viruses from plants? I mean, you said that they hang out and don't do anything, you know, nothing to do with us, but are they transmissible across that barrier or, or is it just sort of like, nope, there's ones that are humans and there's ones that are plants. And I don't know of any examples of a plant virus infecting humans, but that's probably just because like our cells, because, you know, animals and us are, you know, more related than we are to plants. Um, but if your listeners know more than I do, you know, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the last one was, have we ever eradicated a virus? Yeah. So um, worldwide in the history of humans, we've eradicated two viruses. One is smallpox, and that was eradicated mostly using a vaccine. We've also eradicated a a disease called rinderpest, which is a livestock disease. And I actually had never heard of rinderpest before this podcast when I looked up to make sure that or to see if smallpox was the only thing that we'd eradicated. But we are pretty close to eradicating polio at this point. So yay vaccines. Hooray! I I think I'm the last generation of people in this country that had the polio vaccine, actually. So interesting. Let's get to a question from Andy Walker. How is COVID-19 worse than SARS, bird flu, swine flu, etc.? Um, we were originally going to have a doctor on here, so we're aware this isn't exactly in you guys' wheelhouse. But you know, just answer however, however you can. And of course, I don't, I don't know exactly what he means by worse. I suppose probably in terms of um, mortality and morbidity, I would guess. So yeah, so I kind of have two answers to this. Um, one because SARS is closely related to COVID, and I'll answer bird flu and swine flu in a separate answer, but okay. COVID seems to be more contagious than SARS, and that's why we're having a bigger pandemic problem with it. Um, SARS never really got to that level. It's interesting, though, because COVID actually attacks the same cell receptors that SARS does, but um, scientists have found that they're more sticky, 
So like when COVID gets into your body, it's better able to bind to your cells. And then th that's how it gets into your cells by binding. So that's, that's another reason. Um, it also seems to get in deeper into lungs. So SARS kind of stayed upper respiratory. COVID goes deeper into the respiratory tract, um, which can cause pneumonia. And SARS also does this thing where it basically just makes your immune system go nuts. It's called cytokine storm. So that happens in about 15% of people. So most of the damage is actually coming from your immune system going nuts rather than the virus itself. So, And that is what happened with the 1918 flu, is it not? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember reading something about that. Okay, yeah. continue. <laughs> sure. So that's my co that's my coronavirus answer. So COVID and SARS are both coronaviruses. Um, flu is kind of like uh, an entirely different type of virus. It's kind of like apples and oranges to compare them. Those are generally more deadly, but they don't spread as well. So we never get to pan got to pandemic levels with bird flu and swine flu. But viruses do have this trade-off between um, being super deadly and being super contagious, because if something is super deadly, um, you're probably going to be sick enough that you're not going to go out and interact with other people, so it doesn't spread as well. So COVID-19 has a big advantage because it can spread in the population without any symptoms. So you're not sick, you're doing your normal thing, you're seeing people, it spreads more. And kind of on the other end of the extreme is like Ebola. So you get really sick within, I, I don't know what the infectious period of Ebola is, but it's pretty short. So you get sick pretty quick and you don't leave your house because it's pretty obvious at that point that you have Ebola. Right, right. And just from a historical perspective, I know that we've had a lot of viruses through human history that were just like, there's times in history where you can go, oh, this city in Greece had a plague that just like killed almost all the population of this one city and then disappeared. And they never yep. had that particular one again. <laughs> and there's just like all sorts of examples of that because it was too deadly and it killed too many people too quickly. So it could not spread adequately to reproduce itself, correct? Yes. Okay. And another thing is just like viruses that come out of the animal population into humans are generally, they are deadly at the beginning because humans have never seen that particular thing before. So your immune system doesn't quite know how to deal with it. Okay. So Laura Eckhart asked, what is the link between virus outbreaks, climate crisis, deforestation, destruction, natural habitats for animals, all that kind of stuff? I, I hope that Dr. Seth answered your question thoroughly earlier on in the conversation as we were just talking. But if you want to know something else, he is a member of our Varmints Discussion Group, and you can ask him there. At this point, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. You can sub to our cast for as little as a dollar a month, and you'll get early releases and access to Paul's Food Box, a short YouTube vodcast that he does now where he eats weird things. And it is... Uh, it is sometimes related to animals, and uh, and it's extremely funny, so you should go watch it. The show is free and ad-free, and we will always remain so. We very much appreciate it when you can, especially now when things are pretty tight. So. Well, this here's Animal Rancher and Expert at Large, Cotton Shorts. You know Paul and Don are just a couple of nerds like you, and they don't usually get to see animals in the wild. But so we'll talk about where they usually do get to see them, which is to say on popular culture, books, movies, television, and video games. All right.
right. So <laughs> pop culture. So this is the part that kind of makes me squeaky. I'm not I'm not good with this kind of stuff. There's so many movies and books about virus outbreaks and a lot of them aren't very realistic. I, I read some articles and without going into it too deeply, it sounds like the movie Contagion, while it was a little dramatic, uh, seems to have hit the key points that their fictional virus came from a bat and was spread to a pig and then to a human and the scientist who was commenting about this that I was reading said that scientists have been warning us about this for about 30 or 40 years. Um, so do you guys have a favorite virus or outbreak movie? What do you think about them? From a young age, I was a big fan of the the novel, The Stand. Um, and the part of the book I always really liked was not so much the end where it became this very uh, climactic battle between good and evil. It was sort of the, the beginning in the middle where it described sort of how civilization collapsed and then how nature kind of took over and the few remaining survivors were just wandering around trying to figure out like which other species were immune to this disease and how to clear all the cars off the road and just the notion of how you would pick up a civilization after something like that. Um, something that always stuck with me is something my high school biology teacher pointed out to me about humans and disease, which is, you know, we are probably 10 to 100 times more common than any species our size has ever been in the history of the world. And as he put it, that's a lot of fresh meat. Um, and, and you would think at some point, some kind of uh, super disease is, is going to emerge that's going to really do a number on our populations, as scary as that is to, to think about. But um, that book always made me think a lot about it. And I've always wondered if they could someday make a, make a good movie or miniseries out of it, because the one that they made was, was not great. Yeah, I did not watch it because I am scared by that kind of stuff. The Stand is a post-apocalyptic dark fantasy novel written by American author Stephen King, and it was published in 1978. It is a weaponized strain of a virus that is sort of the central thing in the book, and um, I remember reading it, gosh, I, I had to be 13 or 14. I don't think my parents would have let me read it before then. But uh, I remember I got into the first chapter and it was too scary. <laughs> like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> so I didn't even finish it. I have no idea. And I never watched the series. So um, the, the Varminians know by now that I'm a massive wimp and I can't do natural disaster, epidemic, serial killer, slasher, excessive mucus. I can't, I can't do any of it. So I don't even have like a candidate here because I've never seen anything in this uh, area that I could tolerate <laughs> and I'm not doing it. So, so there, but <laughs> what it's about your podcast? It is this is my podcast and I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Toby? I would second Seth's recommendation for the stand, but in general, I don't really tend to watch virus movies that are at all realistic. Right. Um, mostly because I, I can pick out all of the holes and I'm like, that's not right. And it gets annoying um, for me <laughs> and for those who are watching it with me. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more on the side of like, uh, like zombie apocalypse virus movies. Um, so I think I'm going to call my favorite as Resident Evil. So uh -huh. 2002 movie series that started in 2002 starring Mila Jovovich. Mm -hmm. And um, this is basically like a evil company making bioweapons that gets out into the public and starts a zombie apocalypse. And I think it's my favorite because I, can, I can't think of a better way to go than um, turning into a zombie and then having Mila Jovovich snap my neck with her thighs. So. <laughs> that sounds good to me, actually. Yeah. That's not bad, you know? Yeah. I mean, she could crush you like a grape, right? So 
Exactly. Goodbye. My friend Laura and I both agree that if there's a zombie apocalypse, we're just handing ourselves over to the zombies because, <laughs> I mean, who wants to live after that? Not yeah. me. So, mm -hmm. no. I will not be in the restarted culture. That's, I wouldn't survive. So I'm just, we're just going to just open the door. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys can cut my head off with a chainsaw if you want to be in the aftermath, you know? Sure. <laughs> I have my permission, I but I think you that. should let me turn you into zombies instead, really. Okay. That might be more fun. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Mila Jovovich is there. Yeah, you never know. Resident Evil was a video game as well, I think. So Exactly. I remember playing it a little bit at some point, but a long time ago. We used to play in college, like hand the, the controller off among four people because we would get too freaked out. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> they are just squicky. Illnesses are, are weird. They're bad enough. Like real human history is bad enough. Like just being a history and archaeology nerd and all that kind of stuff. I've watched, I love documentaries and I watch way too many of them. And I'm like, oh, the plague was really horrible. <laughs> and it probably led to modern democracy. So it's kind of a good thing that it happened. But still, it was really horrible. <laughs> um so pretty cool stuff, but I, I'm yeah. try, I did try really hard to, to pick something that, uh, that I, that I could go with for pop culture. And I just, I just haven't seen enough of it. So just at the last second thinking about it, go to history hit TV and watch their documentaries about the plague in the middle ages, because those are actually really entertaining and not because they're not gross and you're not going to see yucky stuff. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that is about it. Thank you so much for joining us on the episode and kindly answering our questions. We super duper appreciate it so much. And Toby, we are really looking forward to our show with you so much. It's going to be so exciting. Paul is just beside himself. So excited to talk about this topic. So, and I am too. He's just going to talk about water bears on the show. So he's like, ee! so <laughs> Never ask somebody to talk about their thesis topic. You might hear more than you want to hear. I think that that's never a problem with our audience. They always want to hear more than we have time to give them, which I'm really grateful for because they're wonderful. And Dr. Seth, thank you for coming back. And as usual, we thank you for being the brain of the show. And we will have you back on for another episode at some point, too. We just have to pick an animal. So. Yep, anytime. Yep. All right. Our show has been done with technical support by Matthew Chomo and bed music by Kevin McLeod. And our loco was created by Imran Javed. Thanks for listening, everyone. Wash your hands, wear your masks, and be nice to animals. Hey, Paul. Hey. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> so the viruses show was really fun. Did you uh, did you get all the definition of animal? I can't remember. What there were exactly a, you said we're recording this later, so yeah. Yeah, there was there were a lot of words in the definition. <laughs> uh, many many of them I had to Google. Um, I think I got the, the part about they eat other things. I think I got that right. Yeah, I think I think yeah. so. I can't I can't even remember what I got right. But anyway, so that was <laughs> that was yeah, a really I, interesting show. It was, and I missed a lot. I, I missed a whole lot, but that was really good. 
But uh, it's going to be even more interesting when we have our micro animals show with uh, Dr. Tobin. That's going to be fun. And so I'm looking forward to that. But as just a side note, at the end, I wanted to add that I realized I was just getting really enthusiastic about our topic when we were discussing pop culture. And I recommended that everybody go and look at History Hit TV for documentaries about the plague, right? Well, I I just remember, like, after we stopped recording, the plague was caused by a bacteria, not by a virus. Oh. (laughs) But but the point stands, right? Yeah. But the point stands. There's a lot. There's still a lot of, if you want to watch a video about viruses in, like, 1918 and how that affected everybody, they have documentaries on that, too. Yeah. Yes, I, I I could just tell that people were going to be standing up going, that plague was caused by a bacterium. Like, ah, I know that. <laughs> I actually know that. And it's an important distinction because viruses are only treatable by a vaccine or by developing antibodies to them in our bodies, right? Where yep. bacteria can frequently be killed by antibiotics. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do know the difference. I just got too excited because I was enjoying myself a lot. <laughs> hey, it happens. It totally happens. <sighs> All right. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.